reading from John chapter 8, 31 through 47. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is her father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, you were not born of sexual morality. We, we were not born of sexual morality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I am not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he seeks out his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, when I was growing up, one of my favorite movies was the animated classic, and you do have to call it a classic, The Lion King. I mean, it's been out for like almost 30 years, so I think it's a classic at this point. And you know, I really can't, I said when I was growing up, listen, like right now, this is one of my favorite movies, right? I mean, I'm not alone in that. How can you not love the constant humor of Timon and Pumbaa? Or the romance that finally, I mean, can you feel the love tonight, people, right? The romance that finally buds between Nala and Simba. Now, now our boys are not quite ready to watch the full movie yet. I mean, some of those scenes with, scare, with Scar, do you remember, right? Like, those are terrifying, right? But they've put all of the songs on YouTube. And so we've watched a bunch of the songs. And one of Bevan and Owen's favorites is I Just Can't Wait to Be King. And when I was watching it with them for about the... I don't know, like 907th time, uh, I realized something about The Lion King that I hadn't before. Uh, the Lion King's about freedom. It's about freedom. Now, maybe not exclusively so, but I do think that freedom is one of the major themes. And I came with video evidence. Let's just watch the beginning of I Just Can't Wait to Be King. Be the main effect like no king was before. 
I'm brushing up, I'm looking down, I'm working on my oh, as far, rather an inspiring thing. Oh, I just can't wait to be king. You've run a long way to go, young master, if you think. No one's saying do this. Now, when I said that, no I... one's saying be there. What I meant what? No one's saying stop that. No, what you don't no realize. No one's saying see here. Now stay there. Ah! Well, that's definitely out. Freedom to it all my way. So I think the evidence, right, is there in why he wants to be king, right? So he's, I want to be king. I'm going to be king. It's going to happen. Why is that, right? He says, no one's saying stop that. No one's saying see here. Free to run around all day. Free to do it all my way. He's imagining a future where he's king, which to him firstly means that no one will ever, no one will ever be able to tell him no again, right? Because he's finally in charge. He'll have total freedom. There'll be no rules, no restrictions, no constraints. And even, right, Timon and Pumbaa, what is Akuna Matata if not another way to try to be free? Just bury your head in the sand. There's no major problems. Scar isn't like ruining everything over here. Just pretend those, like you just got to be free. The Lion King is about freedom. And you know, I think in many ways, this idea of and approach to freedom has been Disney's anchoring idea for like 30 plus years. So that's the Lion King way back in the 90s when I was growing up. But when we were in Illinois a couple weeks ago with my family, we watched the more recent Disney movie, Moana. Now, come on, I love this movie, but what is it about? What is Moana about? The thrust of the tension is that Moana must throw off the shackles of familial and tribal expectations so that she can find true freedom and her true self on the open water of the ocean. Moana is about freedom. And, and listen, do not even get me started on Elsa's arc in both of the two Frozen movies. I'm serious. I will not stop talking about this. I have preached an entire sermon on her character arc and how we should juxtapose it with Abraham in Genesis 15. That's a real thing that I did. So don't get me started, okay? But I wonder, and maybe you're with me on this, what if one of the reasons why this idea of freedom and approach to freedom has been so central for Disney for decades now is because they get that it sells. Freedom sells because freedom is a universal human desire. People will go see a movie about freedom because deep, deep down, we all want to be free. Don't you, I mean, don't you want to be free? We want financial freedom. We want freedom with our time. We want freedom from worry. We want freedom from others. We want, I want freedom from the self-talk that happens in my head, right? Free to be me. Free to be the best version of me. Don't we all want freedom? And you know, I find it fascinating. I think, I think Jesus seems to have known about this universal human desire to be free. I think he must have, or I don't think he would have spoken to it so powerfully, like he did in our text for this morning, John chapter 8. The claim that Jesus says in John 8.32, I think it's one of his most well-known. This is one of Jesus' most iconic moments. We just heard Alex read it for us, but here it is again, John 8.32. You will know the truth and what? The truth will set you free. You will know the truth and what? And the truth will set you free. Man, that's compelling, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I want that. My heart yearns for truth that leads to freedom. But church, here's the problem. 
or at least this is one of the problems. We might not be as free as we think we are. We might not be as free as we think we are, and we take a lot of pride in our freedom here in America, don't we? It's the land of the free and the home of the brave, right? It's baked deeply into our DNA. We are really proud of it. We talk about it a lot, but I'm not sure we're as free as we think we are. And I think this was definitely true for Jesus' original listeners in John 8. But as we journey together through this text, I, I think we might discover that this is also true of us. But let's enter back into this text and see what I'm talking about. We're in the middle of John chapter 8. It's another long chapter. And this section of John's brilliant account of Jesus' life and ministry, this has been a lot of back and forth. If you've been with us, we've been journeying in this section of John, and it's a lot of Jesus, then the crowd, or Jesus, then the Jewish leaders, or Jesus, and then we'll see here what happens is, but it's a lot of back and forth, right? It's this debate and discussion between Jesus and various groups of people. And just before this, the passage just before this, Pastor Nathan was with us last week and he preached on it. Jesus makes this incredible declaration where he says, I am... One of Jesus' famous I am sayings in the book of John, I am the light of the world. And really understandably, to say I am the light of the world, right, during a moment where he probably looks up and the sun's right there, and Jesus is like, nope, nope, not the sun. I am the light of the world. It's not the sun, it's me. I'm the light of the world. This generates a lot of debate and discussion, this declaration from Jesus, but it ends, this passage ends sort of curiously because it ends in verse 30, John 8, 30, with this, where people, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. It's like, oh, okay, that's good, I guess, right? Like, people live in darkness, they want the light, they're believing that Jesus is the light of the world, but you always have to keep reading. You always have to keep reading. Every text has a context. So let's keep going into John 8, 31 and 32. It's the beginning of our passage for this morning, and this is important. As he was saying these things about being the light of the world and the teaching that followed, many believed in him. Verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, and the idea is then you are truly my disciples. And, and, then, and then you will know the truth, and then the truth will set you free. I mean, it's almost as if Jesus detects something that is incomplete within these people's belief. And as far back as John chapter 6, in fact, the Apostle John's already established that Jesus knew from the beginning who it was that did not believe in him. So he must detect something incomplete, and he presses back in, and he first reminds them. He says, hey, here is the ultimate sign of a true disciple, abiding perseverance, abiding perseverance. And Jesus goes far deeper into this idea of abiding. It's a really uh, central word within John's gospel, and he goes far deeper into it later in the gospel of John. So we'll get there eventually, like by 2025, I think is when. (laughs) Now, that is a joke. (laughs) We're not going to be in John in 2025. But later on in John 15, he really digs into abiding, but the sense of it is this, right? To abide means to remain. To abide means to persist. To abide means you do what those in John 6 didn't do. Remember John 6, the hard teaching? What happens? Everybody bounces. They're like, we're out of here. We got to eat your flesh and drink your blood. No, thank you. They don't abide. They don't persist. They don't remain, right? They leave. But that's abiding is you stick around. 
You stick around when the teaching is tough. You stick around when the word is, is hard and it hits your heart and it challenges you. You stick around even when you count the cost and you realize that Jesus' way, it's narrow. Abiding is like, I'm going to walk that path even still. That's abiding. And so follow, again, the logical steps of what Jesus is laying out here. We've already done this a little bit. But first, believe in Jesus, which belief is never just, I think it in my head and agree with it in my head. Belief is I do something with my entire life, even the stuff that nobody sees. That's belief in John. So I believe in Jesus and his teaching, his word. He talks a lot about his word in this passage. Then I abide and remain and persist in that word by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's not as much on display in this passage, but that's next. Then that abiding in Jesus and his teaching, what does it do? It leads you to a knowledge of the truth, because what does Jesus eventually say in John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. So you abide, you believe his teaching, that's your whole life. You abide, you persist, you remain in it, right? And then it leads you to the knowledge of the truth, and what does that truth do? It sets you free. It sets you free. Now, here's what's lurking in the background, okay? These people have believed in him, and Jesus is saying, hey, you got to abide. you got to persist, right? And that's how you get the freedom. So the implication as he presses back into them is what? It's, it's the right there. What's the implication? Because he follows up and presses in, he's implying, and, and he comes out in a little bit here and just flat out says it, but he's at first implying that they're not free yet. He's implying that they're not, if he's talking to them about how you get the freedom, then he's implying that they're not free yet. We might not be as free as we think we are. And for the first listeners in John 8, we'd say they might not be as free as they thought they were. I think that's what Jesus is getting at. Like, you think you're my believers, you think you're already free, you're not as free as you think you are. And they don't, they don't miss that this is what Jesus is saying. They don't miss that he's implying this, right? Look at their response in John 8, 33. They answered him, we're offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say to us, how is it that you say you will become free? Understandably so. They're confused and frustrated. They just believed in some way, right? The text 8.30 says, and they believed. Some believed in him. So they're confused and frustrated. And it is really important to understand the phrase here where it says, we have never been enslaved to anyone. Because remember with me, right? At this exact moment that this exchange is taking place, the Jewish people, they're literally under Roman control and occupation. So, so then this protest and pushback that they've never been enslaved to everyone, this can't be a socio-political statement because at the exact moment the conversation is taking place, the Jewish people are under Roman control. So they're not making a socio-political statement, they're making a spiritual statement. They're making a spiritual statement. They're scoffing at Jesus' pathway to freedom. <laughs> Don't need that. Already free over here. We've been free for generations. Don't you know? We're offspring of Abraham. And that's what they do. How do they try to prove their spiritual freedom? They reach back and they appeal to their spiritual ancestry. We are people of Israel. Our God is the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. How dare you insinuate that we need to be made free? We're free already. 
Now, we'll dive more into the ancestry family bit here in a moment, but I want to stick with freedom. I don't want to leave this idea of freedom yet. So stick with me on freedom. We'll get to the family part in a second. But stick with me on freedom, and I want to add in an idea to freedom that Jesus adds in as he responds to verse 33. So that's verse 33. That's how they respond. Here's what happens next. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the capital S son, flag that, we'll come back to it. So if the capital S son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Free indeed. That indicates what? That there might be different kinds of freedom. Or maybe there's false freedom and then there's true freedom, right? Free indeed. Free indeed. Verse 37, I know that you are offspring of Abraham. It's like, come on, we're all Jews here. We're all offspring of Abraham. Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Uh, let's go back one slide. There's a highlighted portion on the slide. Yeah, right there. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. I want to especially draw your attention there. Because notice with me that Jesus is introducing some really important ideas about sin and slavery into the discussion about freedom. He doesn't ignore the appeal to family. He actually dives more into this in a few verses here, but he first reminds his listeners what ultimately takes away freedom and brings slavery. What takes away freedom and brings slavery? It's sin. Sin takes away freedom. Sin brings slavery. These folks, they believe they are free by their familial status and by their ancestral heritage. And Jesus kicks right back to them. And this is what he says, and mind you, this would have been deeply insulting and upsetting to them. He says, status and heritage and family alone, your blood family, cannot make you free from the power of sin. Deeply upsetting, deeply insulting, because these were the chosen people of God. How dare you, Jesus? And that's key as well, right? We can't miss this. Jesus is reminding us here in this passage that sin is more, it's not just isolated actions or incidents. Sin is more than just isolated actions or incidents. It's not less than that. Sin is not less than that, but it is so much more. You see, Jesus is describing it as a power, a power that has a tragic death grip on humanity. And it's a power that leads to our enslavement. Church, we can't miss this. By our sin, we are all enslaved to something. By way of our sin, we are all enslaved to something. We are all controlled by something, right? The only question is what? And here's where it gets even trickier, even more dicey. Stick with me on this for a moment. But often, have you noticed this? Often, what we think of as the source of our freedom is actually what is enslaving us the most. Often, what we think of and what we go to as the reason we're free or the source of our freedom is actually what enslaves us the most. And wasn't this true for Jesus' original listeners in John 8? Jesus offers them a beautiful and free pathway towards true freedom, and they immediately push back. 
And they assume this defensive posture. They hunker down behind what they think has already made them free. And friends, I just wonder, don't we do the same thing? Don't we do the same thing? I know that I do. I'm offended by the idea that I might not be fully free, that I might still be struggling with slavery to sin. I mean, inside I can feel the arguments welling up, the arguments of pushback. I'm a pastor. Don't you know Jesus? I'm a pa- I've been a follower of Jesus since I was five. Right? This is what wells up inside me. I hope I'm not alone in this. Or maybe here's what broader pushback to Jesus would look like from our current cultural moment, right? Someone from our current cultural moment, they might say, what do you mean I'm not free? No one tells me what to do. I'm in charge of my own life. I do what I want to do when I want to do it. You see, I'm convinced that in our current cultural moment, we are addicted by this approach to freedom. I think it's the the, the Disney idea that we started with. I think it's the Disney idea seeped into modern cultural parlance. It's my life, my journey, my choices, my story, my freedom, right? Who are you to tell me that I'm not free? You can do anything you want, but don't tell me that I'm not free. And in a Disney movie, that seems like a pretty great approach, doesn't it? In a Disney movie, by the time the credits flash, everything's been wrapped up rather nicely. There's no consequences for any choices that were made, any consequences, any tension around that gets resolved. But that's a Disney movie, y'all. Like, how's that going for us in actual non-Disney life? We have more money than ever and more debt. We have more time-saving devices, and yet we've never been more overwhelmed by our schedules. We have constant, instant access to an endless stream of humans, and yet we are so terribly alone. We've pursued and prioritized unlimited sexual freedom. That's the biggie, right? Unlimited sexual freedom, and yet there is so much corresponding abuse and heartache and tragedy. We think we're free. We think we're free, but we might not be as free as we think we are. We might not be as free as we think we are. And here's the deal. This is the pinch point when it comes to our current cultural moment. You have to track with me on this. True freedom, free indeed, true freedom cannot be self-created. It cannot be self-created. We can't like go off somewhere and just look inside and experience and, and earn and fight for true freedom. That's just going to be another pathway to sneaky slavery. True freedom has to come from outside of us. That's our cultural moment, right? It's you. You got to do it. Oh, man, I'm going back to Elsa. I'm sorry. But the moment in the second Frozen movie, right, when it's all culminating and she thinks she's going to find this ethereal, like it ends up being her mom, spoiler alert, I'm really sorry, right? But what does her mom say? You are the you you've been waiting for. That's the line. Listen, I love the Frozen movies. But the line is, you are the you you've been waiting for. You don't need anyone else to define your path, to find your purpose, to experience true freedom. This is what our current cultural moment thinks about freedom. It it doesn't work. 
True freedom has to come from outside of ourselves. It has to be established from somewhere else, and it has to be given to us. And like, okay, so that's our current cultural moment, but even that, even if true freedom comes from outside of ourselves, that's not a guarantee. Step back with me into John 8. That's what's happening, right? In our moment in 2022, we want to look inside of ourselves and determine our true freedom. But in John chapter 8, what's happening? They are looking outside of themselves. They're looking to their ancestral heritage. They're looking to the fact that they are part of the chosen people of God. And yet Jesus is saying, yeah, but like, you're not really free either. So whether we're looking inside of ourselves for freedom or whether we're looking to the wrong things outside of ourselves, friends, there's only one pathway to true freedom. There's only one way to be free indeed, right? And this is what Jesus says, verses 37 and 38. He says, I know that you're offspring of Abraham. Come on, guys, of course, I know that. Yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. My word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Okay, now it's freedom. You're with me on that, right? And we'll still talk about freedom. But what does he say here? I do, I do what my father does, and you do what your father does. Uh-oh. Our first point was we might not be as free as we think we are. A second is this. Only the right family will set us truly free. Only the right family will set us truly free. Now, Jesus has been implying some stuff, right? But he kind of comes out here, verse 37, pretty strong. I do what my father does, capital F. You do what your father does, not capital F. Let's see what he's talking about. Uh, in this dialogue and exchange, verses 39 through 47. We'll read a good bit of the text here. Watch this point come to life. They answered him, Abraham's our father. What are you saying? Abraham's our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth, there's truth again, that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. Don't you know your Bibles? This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. Then they come back with an insult. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality, implying that he was. The message translates this, we were not bastards, right? Man, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would actually love me for I came from God and here I am. I am. I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. And this is it, right? The punch. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. And he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies indeed. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you can convict me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God, and the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Mic drop. Jesus' overarching point in these verses is that there are at least two familial options for us, so to speak. We can belong to the family of God, or we can belong to the family of the devil. And I know, I know, it's like, ugh, like, okay, Jesus, like, man, dramatic much? And it might, like, 
in the moment to us feel a little bit over the top from Jesus. Like, man, he really swung for the fences on that one. Their father is the devil. But follow with me, right? He says, what about the devil? He says first that he is a murderer and he's been a murderer and a liar from the beginning. And by the end of John 8, we'll get to this next week, what are these people doing? They are picking up stones to murder Jesus. So he had it pegged. Not too much, not too dramatic from Jesus, right? In fact, again, one of the other points that Jesus makes in verse 44, not just that the devil is a murderer, but that he's been a murderer from the beginning, which takes the beginning. What does that make us think of in Scripture? He's been a murderer from, since the beginning. Well, it should make us think of, thank you, Kirk. <laughs> You're absolutely right, buddy. Genesis 1-1, where in the beginning, right? There's a clear reference here. He's been a murderer from the beginning. So we go back to the earliest pages And what do we find there? The first time that the devil, the evil one, is on screen, so to speak, what's he doing in Genesis 3? He's lying. He's lying from the beginning as we go back, right? We see on full display in these chapters how what Jesus says here in John 8 plays out. The first words from the evil one are this, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And it's easy for us to overlook because it seemed, that seems like not a big deal. It seems so innocuous, almost innocent. Like, did God really say? Like sing-songy, right? But we cannot miss how bad and massive of a lie this is. This is a lie that leads Adam and Eve to believe that God is restrictive and withholding. This is a lie that leaves Adam and Eve to believe that he is not generous, that he is not abundant, that he is not loving. And from the beginning, what we see is that the enemy has used lies to enslave us to sin and shame. From the beginning, we see that the enemy has used lies to make us think that God is opposed to our freedom. Did God really say? He makes God out to be an enemy of our freedom as opposed to the source of it. And these lies, these lies, they lead to the death of Adam and Eve, don't they? Not immediately. They don't die. They don't drop dead right away when they rebel, tragically rebel and eat the fruit. They don't don't die right away. Why? Because of God's gracious patience with them. But did you ever notice this? Something did die immediately. Because they eat the fruit, they believe the lie, they eat the fruit... They experience shame at their nakedness, and God kills animals to give them coverings. Did you ever notice that? Something does die. It's the first sacrifice. Should have been Adam and Eve. God says, no, the first animals die immediately. Do not miss that Satan's lies always lead, if we give in to them, to sin, which always leads to what? To slavery and death every single time. Fast forward just one chapter. What happens? Cain kills Abel. It's like 33 seconds later, and Satan's sin, Satan's lie, is leading to the first sin of murder. It's like five humans on earth. And this is how... It's like this, and that's what Jesus' point in John 8. is This is your father. This is what he, when he, this is what he sows and this is what he reaps. Congrats, he's your dad. Our actions reveal our family. 
That's what Jesus says in John 8, isn't it? Congrats, he's your dad. You know how I know? The way you're acting. Our actions, their actions and our actions reveal our family, reveal our father. And this is true of earthly families too, isn't it? Man, it's so certainly true of me and my family. We just wrapped up a week of time with my family in Illinois, and my dad, David Brandis, my earthly dad, David Brandis, is like one of the greatest humans. I love my dad. If I can be half the man and father and eventually maybe a grandfather that my dad is, like, we'll all be doing all right. Like, David Brandis is incredible, right? He is also one of the quirkiest humans that walks the planet Earth. Right, here's, I brought some photo evidence of my dad being quirky. Uh, that's my dad with, with Bevan and Owen, right? Um, just the best. And here's the punchline of all of this, right? Slowly but surely, as I get older and as I move more into dadhood, the genetic quirkiness, it's, it's, it's making its way to me. It's making its way to me. Here's just one example, right? We're up at my folks' house in Illinois, and I found myself as the only person in the house for some reason. The kids were outside on the patio with Ashley and my parents, and I walk into the kitchen, and a timer goes off. And I'm like, I don't know what that timer is for. Like, it's probably for something super-duper important. So I, like, rush outside. I'm like, Mom, Dad, a timer went off. And my dad, like, he, like, jumps up, right? Like, he runs into the house. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, what's going on? Like, why is there a timer? And he opens the freezer, uh, and he had put a Diet Coke in there so that it would be colder faster. And, and he set a timer so that he wouldn't forget, right? So that, because that's a bad day, because that's a frozen Diet Coke all over your freezer. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, my dad is a genius. <laughs> this is the greatest idea ever, right? So, so we get home and uh, as an aside, right, like our fridge in the garage with the drinks, it's on the fritz at our house. And so they just, they're not adequately chilled. And there's nothing worse than a not refreshing drink that you think is going to be free, uh, uh, refreshing. So uh, what do I do? Um, I grab a, a drink and I put it in the freezer in the inside fridge and I set a timer on our Alexa and 10 minutes later, here I am kicking back, enjoying, and Ashley wasn't there when I took the drink and put it into the freezer and set the timer and Alexa goes off and she's like, she's literally, she's like, what did you just do? <laughs> because she knows my dad and she sees her future, <laughs> right? Like this is what we do. This is what we do. We imitate, we imitate our father's. We imitate our families. Our actions reveal who our Father is. Our actions reveal who our Father is, don't they? I mean, is this true for you as well? It can't just be me, right? And this is the point that, John, that Jesus makes in John 8, but it is with much higher and more tragic stakes than just some soft drinks in the freezer. We have to recognize the reality of the devil as a real and personal evil in our world. And the devil's goal is to get us into his family. The devil's goal is to keep us enslaved to the power of sin by using false ideas to deceive us and to keep us averse to the real truth, who is Jesus. You see, lies are the main weapon of the devil to keep us in bondage to sin. And these lies are deadly, right? They don't seem at the time like a big deal. Did God really say doesn't seem like a big deal. But again, the lies of the devil, we've covered this. They always lead to death. Pastor and author John Mark Comer makes this point powerfully in his new book, Live No Lies. Seems relevant. He talks about how lies, how these deceptive false ideas, then they lead to disordered desires. 
We all have desires, right? And if our, if our desires get out of order, that's a problem. And deceptive false ideas from Satan lead us to that. And then those disordered desires become normalized in a sinful god culture. And here's the money quote from the book. For Jesus, the devil is the archetype of a villain who is hell-bent on destruction. He just wants to watch the world burn. His motto is, tear it all down. Wherever he finds life, he tries to stamp it out. Beauty, deface it. Love, corrupt it. Unity, shatter it, fragment it into a million pieces. Human flourishing, push it into anarchy or tyranny. Either will do. His anti-life, pro-death, pro-chaos agenda is an insatiable fire. And it starts with, did God really say? So it feels that way over here, but it is an insatiable fire that's burning the world down. Only the right family will set us truly free. Church, here's the good news, right? Even as the devil tries to get us into his family, there is another option. Praise be to God. The devil and his family are not the only way. Look back. I said we'd go back to it. Verse 36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And there is a glorious reason. There's a glorious reason that the word Son is capitalized in this verse. It's because Jesus, as he speaks, as he makes an offer, he's referring to himself. I am the Son of God, Jesus claims. And I and my Father alone can set you truly free. The devil, he is going to lie to you and lie to you and lie to you and lie to you and lie to you to keep you enslaved to your sin. But me and my truth can set you free. Free indeed. What a glorious good news the glorious, gracious good news of the gospel of our freedom. You see, sin leads to death, but Jesus never sinned. Sin leads to slavery, sin leads to death, but Jesus never sinned. So friends, what happens when the one who never sinned submits himself willfully to death? It's got no hold on him. It's got no claim. It had to let him go. It had to loose its chains after three days and the, the stone was rolled away and Jesus walked out of that tomb clutching our freedom in his hand. Death was arrested and our lives began. Let's pray as the band comes back for us to sing together in response. Father in heaven, we need you and the family that your son Jesus provides. Help us. Help us, Father. Thank you. Thank you that if we believe, if we abide and persist, thank you that we will experience knowledge which will lead to truth and then truth which will lead to freedom. Thank you that all of that is available. We need it. And still, even still, Lord, we, I, we, all of us are still so tempted by the devil's lies. Forgive us, Lord, for giving in. Help us to not be one who practices sin. We know we will give in. We are grateful for your grace, but help us be not 
ones who practice sin, but instead help us to be part of the right family, the right family that leads to true freedom, freedom indeed. And as we sing now, as we respond by singing about how you arrested death and gave us our freedom, may this be a joyful, freely given sacrifice that is honoring to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.